0: Hi, my name is Alexandra Peternakke, Behavioural Science Analyst here at HRW. In this month's podcast, we're bringing you a few book recommendations, and I'll kick them off with one of my recent reads, which was recommended to me by a colleague. The book is called The Midnight Library by Matt Haig. It's a book that I found very refreshing. Let's ask ourselves how many times when we are faced with making a choice, Do we spend time stuck, unable to decide, or having a hard time figuring out which path would be the best for us? Which path would best fit into and maximize our potential future choices? After making a decision, do we then spend time wondering whether we've made the best choice? Nora Seed, the book's protagonist, has spent her life anxiously pondering her choices and feeling unaccomplished. Could she have been an Olympic swimmer if she kept up swimming? The library she finds herself in at midnight, at a crucial point in her life, allows her to explore and confront all of her regrets and all of the what-ifs. This allows Nora to see what truly makes a fulfilling life, aside from dazzling accomplishments. I thoroughly recommend this book if you'd like to take a step back from the hustle and bustle of life and dig into what is truly fulfilling for yourself. It's called The Midnight Library by Matt Haig.
1: Hi, I'm Rhiannon Phillips and I'm a Senior Behavioral Scientist with HRW Shift and the book that I'm recommending today is called The Examined Life, How We Lose and Find Ourselves. It's by a man named Stephen Gross and the title is an echo of Socrates rather well-known quote, The Unexamined Life is Not Worth Living. So Gross is actually a psychotherapist and the book is a collection of case histories spanning his 25-year career these histories read like short stories so each one is written with a great deal of compassion uh, and in a very compelling way that really draws you into each person's life and through that we start to explore why people behave in seemingly contrary ways. So It takes a stance that we are all storytellers. So we know that our minds love a good story because they provide us with meaning, with reason uh, an explanation for why things happen. And that in turn gives us a sense of control over our lives. And so the greatest audience for our storytelling is actually in fact ourselves. And so we tell ourselves innumerable stories every day to explain everyday events But we also tell ourselves much bigger stories, much larger narratives about the people we love, about who love us or perhaps are supposed to love us. Stories about who we are and invariably there are lies that get tangled up in all of that. And ultimately the book's about how we handle the challenges and troubles and grief, which is an inevitable part of human life, part of the human experience so the book itself breaks down into roughly 30 different stories, each one centering on one particular patient. And so just to give a little bit of a flavour, but without giving too much away, um, we learn about one person who has a paranoid delusion that there's a bomb in their flat and how that actually answered a deep-seated need they had. We deconstruct why a compulsive liar would convince his wife he's dying of cancer. Um, we also hear about a woman who refuses obstinately to notice that her partner is a cheap despite it being made painfully obvious, almost deliberately so. And so the underlying principle throughout is that in order to change whatever behavioral pattern that's existing that's problematic, we must first understand or access the unconscious feelings and memories that have shaped us into who we are. And so these stories, these vignettes shed light on the things that make us vulnerable, but how that vulnerability also makes us human. And it really addresses how relationships can both sustain and frighten us and how these symptoms come about as adaptations to a fundamental need, an unconscious attempt to address a problem. In a sense, these conditions or experiences of these patients are serving a need, but also causing that suffering. So it really is fascinating on a whole number of levels. It's really compassionately told, and it really draws you in. It's bite-sized nature. is also really convenient. So I really couldn't recommend it more. Happy reading.
2: Hi, I'm Katie Irving, and I'm the Global Head of Behavioral Science here at HRW. And my book recommendation for 2022 is actually a bit of an older book, but I've read it in 2021 with my book club, and I really enjoyed it. So I really highly recommend it for people who haven't yet read it, which is Black Box Thinking by Matthew Side. And the book is really interesting because it really talks a lot about failure, and in particular about the difference between closed loop systems and open loop systems. So a closed loop system, system is one where people don't necessarily learn from their failures or their mistakes, and they look to avoid acknowledging their failure or deny their failure, and they worry about being blamed for failures. And he contrasts that with open-loop systems where people learn from their failures and mistakes aren't necessarily encouraged, but they capture a lot of data and analyze mistakes closely to see what people can learn. And I think it was particularly interesting for those of us working in healthcare market research because they draw a contrast between the industry of medicine versus airline industry. Medicine, he gives as an example of a closed-loop system, so particularly when physicians make mistakes or there are medical errors, they're often not necessarily thoroughly captured and analyzed and learned from, they tried to kind of be swept under the rug and avoid catching blame from patients or from systems. Whereas in airlines, uh, they use the data from the black box, anything even remotely close to a mistake is analyzed by committees and pilots and everyone looks to learn from errors that have happened to other people in a very collective format. So that's why it's called black box thinking is because it refers to the airline's black box and he really closes the book with a lot of useful learnings about how we can develop systems as well as develop our mindset to take more of a kind of test and learn approach and really embrace failures an opportunity to learn and grow and to embrace our mistakes as an opportunity for self-improvement so really highly recommend black box thinking by matthew side
3: hi there my name is david thompson and i'm the founder and chairman of mmr the group that uh, owns HRW. My particular interest is practically motivated insofar as most new consumer products and almost all new brands fail in market, in spite of the fact that research will often have played a significant role in guiding product and brand development processes, and also engaging the likelihood of in-market success using prediction tools such as bases. Now clearly, whatever it is that we're capturing and measuring in research, isn't enough to tell the whole story. Otherwise, we'd be much better at designing successful new products. Now, emotion and its role in affect, I think, is the missing part of the story. And the research community needs to have a far better general understanding of affect and the role that emotion plays in affect. Now, as you'll know, these days, there's huge interest in behavioral science. And whilst this delights me, it's worth noting that your behaviour is a consequence of the internal machinations of your brain as you interact with the world around you. And so you need to have a far better understanding of the emotional and affective drivers of behaviour. And this in turn would certainly give us a much better understanding of behaviour and some of the incongruities and irrationalities that seem to be so much a part of human behaviour. Now, the most recently published substantial book on emotion is entitled How Emotions Are Made, The Secret Life of the Brain. And that's written by that most prolific of emotion researchers, Lisa Feldman Barrett from Northeastern University near Boston. However, I am actually reluctant to recommend this book to you for two reasons. First of all, it's a bit long winded and a bit of a ramble. and It takes a lot of reading and rereading to distill off the key concepts. That said, those key concepts, when you grasp them, are germane to our general understanding of emotion. And for that reason, it's probably quite a good read. Secondly, Barrett promotes the theory of constructed emotion to the exclusion of all other theories of emotion. And whilst I find this compelling, I think she's too dismissive of and doesn't give sufficient credit or pay sufficient attention to other theories of emotion, particularly the component process model, which is definitely has some merit. In my opinion a useful and digestible book on emotion has yet to be written and watch this space now i'm going to recommend two books to you the first of these is also authored by lisa feldman barrett and intriguingly it's entitled seven and a half lessons about the brain this book is actually broken down into seven and a half bite-sized and highly readable essays about aspects of the brain and brain function and unlike how emotions are made it's very well written and very accessible now my second book recommendation is Anul Seth's 30-Second Brain. Uh, this is a very straightforward, engaging and highly accessible read also about brain structure and brain function. Now, while neither of these books deal directly or comprehensively with affect or emotion, they certainly provide an excellent foundation from which to study affect and emotion. And that's why I'm recommending them to you. I hope you enjoy them. Thank you. Bye-bye.
4: I'm Emma Neville. I'm a behavioural scientist here at HRW Shift, and I have a background in discourse analysis. The book that I'd like to recommend addresses a really important discourse that we live with today around anti-fatness. So the book is What We Don't Talk About When We Talk About Fat by Aubrey Gordon. And at a high level, this book is a sociological analysis addressing anti-fatness in in healthcare and in other contexts. But that description feels like I'm not doing the book justice because really the book does so much more than that. It's been called A Manifesto, incorporates elements of memoir. So it's a really unique book in terms of genre and it does a great job of dissecting the culture Mythologies that we take for granted around thinness as health. And it also unpacks the wider social systems that perpetuate anti fat bias and anti fat violence. And what I really find so compelling about this book is first of all, it's extremely well researched. The analysis is grounded in a very competent exploration of the empirical data. So it corrects a lot of misinformation out there about weight and health. So that's excellent in itself. I really learned a lot reading this book. But what's quite unique is that this evidence basis is really skillfully combined with candid storytelling and moments of memoir from the author's life that I think does a really effective job of contextualising that data and keeping the book really accessible and relatable. So. January is one of the most brutal months when it comes to anti-fat messaging and you'll see a lot of misinformed debates about how to improve your health in this month. So if you would like to challenge your assumptions about fatness and health, if you'd like to dismantle some of your own anti-fat bias and even just equip yourself with a better understanding of how we got here as a culture, I would absolutely recommend this book. It's what we don't talk about when we talk about fat. By Aubrey Gordon.
5: My name is Ellie Day and I'm a director at HRW. I am recommending The Heat of the Moment by Sabrina Cohen Hatton. I recommend this book all of the time, but I read it quite a while ago, so now I'm going to have to rack my brains to remember why I loved it so much. I bought the book after listening to Sabrina on Desert Island Disc, hearing how she'd been homeless as a teenager and selling the big issue. She managed to turn her life around, joining the fire service at 18. Then while working, she completed an open university degree in psychology and eventually managing a PhD in behavioural science at Cardiff Uni, which is where I went. The book combines her firefighting and psychology experiences, looking at how humans make decisions under extreme pressures, the strategies and patterns that form in your mind and how you can train your brain to cope with such extreme pressures and make better decisions. I'm fortunate never to have been in a firefighting situation, but I enjoyed seeing the correlation and making links between the high-pressure decision-making examples that she gave and my experience in life and in work as a researcher, understanding how people react and make their daily choices.
0: Thank you for listening. If you'd like to recommend the book to us or to get in touch, you can find us online on Twitter at HRWShift or you can email us at Shift at hwhealthcare.com